1: What's going on, everybody? Uh, as you can tell, this is not Brad Roland. Normally, he, his dulcet tones are the ones that are gracing these uh, airwaves when we're t- on the Talking Chop podcast. My name is Eric Cole. You may recognize me from work over at Talking Chop, where I'm the deputy site manager and minor league editor. Uh, this is a little bit of a different podcast. Uh, we weren't actually planning, at least as far as I'm aware, to have a podcast this week because Brad wasn't going to be available Sunday, and we had kind of covered a lot of the, a lot of the news Um other than the non-tenders, which we'll kind of talk about in a little bit, but we did have some news today. So joining me this evening is Scott Coleman. You can follow me him on Twitter at Scott Coleman fifty five. And we're going to sit down and talk about the big signing of the Brave for the Braves today of Cole Hamills. Uh, let's talk touching on the non-tender decisions also from earlier this week as well. Scott, how are you, man?
2: I'm good. I was under the assumption this was the uh, the Rafael Ortega released podcast and not the Cole Hamels podcast, and I am not prepared at all.
1: Yeah, that's uh, yeah you. That's what you get for being in the central time zone, being all messed up and just assuming that, you know, that we're going to talk about Rafael Ortega. And then and then just re- and then I, what I was originally planning on was just reading all the angry tweets I got about Charlie Culverson being. Oh, yeah, yeah. that would have that would have been actually been high comedy. I got some really angry ones, really angry ones, really uh, some very upsetting DMs and things like that. And I was like, OK, that's what we're that's what we're doing today. That sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, we don't have to do that. Um, we're just going to get right down to it. This isn't going to be a particularly long podcast, uh, I don't think. Uh, it is Scott and I talking, so I guess we could run a little longer. But the big news of the day is that Cole Hamels, eh, formerly of the Texas Rangers and the, uh, the Cubs, as well as the rival uh, Philadelphia Phillies, who have been making some news today as well, uh, signed a one-year deal with the Braves for $18 million. Um, Scott, I just want to go to this first before we kind of talk about the, the nitty-gritty bits of this. What was your first impression, like, when you saw this deal? Because my first thought was, that's a lot of money for, for one year to Cole Hamels. You
2: know, it's funny. Hamels was not really on my radar at the start of the winter. And then MLB Trade Rumors, in their predictions piece, I think had the Braves signing Hamels to a two-year deal and $30 million. And that, you know, kind of perked my interest, and I looked into him a bit. And he was somebody who made sense if they were looking for a veteran innings eater and, and somebody who then came out and said he was looking at a short-term deal with a contending team. He wants to get back to the World Series. Of course, he won one uh, and was was a uh, World Series MVP with the Phillies once upon a time. Um, but he had kind of fallen off my radar for a couple of weeks. So, you know, it wasn't like a stunning name. You know, it wasn't like they just grabbed somebody from uh, a team or a player who was completely off everybody's radar. He was kind of linked to the Braves early on. And, and it makes sense. This is a move as unlike a move that will smith was for the front office uh you know being aggressive and signing a reliever to a big contract hamels kind of fits what anthopolis is looking for uh one-year deal it's been said a million times you you can't go wrong with a one-year deal 18 million bucks is a little high but it does sound like there were a handful of teams uh maybe six or seven who were pursuing him and sometimes you have to pay an extra million or two if you want to get a deal done uh, and then you, as you alluded to just seeing how the starting pitching, pitching market has gone so far, Zach Wheeler getting $120 million today. I think that's just a little too rich for what the Braves are looking to do. Um, so ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm fine with the deal. I think there's a limited upside that comes with a 36 year old uh, lefty like Hamels, but I also think he'll bring plenty of value to this team and, and you can do a lot worse uh, when you're looking for a middle of the rotation starter.
1: Yeah. Um. We, the the deal is, feels to me very similar to the Dallas Keuchel deal and you know Brad when we were talking about this Brad made notes kind of for us to go through and he notes that as well it's just that you know am I particularly thrilled about giving this kind of money to this kind of pitcher old an older guy. Probably not, but you're right. Is that there's just n- there's really not that many bad one-year deals that you can sign. Really, the worst ones are the ones that like you sign a player who know you know is actively going to be bad, and it has nothing to do with the money. It has to do with the fact that that guy is going to be playing a certain spot that you don't want. Um, and Ho- Hamels is just not that guy. You know, he's he's not the like the guaranteed 200 innings guy anymore because he's had dealt has dealt with some injuries. Um, had an oblique injury last year, for example, you know, and, he, and he's had a couple injuries here and they're like in recent years, but for the most part, he's like a, like, he, like you said, he's an inning stalwart. He's going to put up good value. He's again, I don't think he's that four or five win pitcher, pitcher anymore. Obviously if it's, if he's a four or five win pitcher, then this is a steal for the Braves. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're and, golden. Yeah. And it's worth noting that, uh, um, unless I'm mistaken, they can offer, for, offer him the qualifying offer if he is really good. So, you know, really it kind of ha- it has kind of a club option for the same amount of money more or less. Uh, tacked on, well, I say that. Uh, there is a possible second year, if, assuming he doesn't turn down the qualifying offer. I can't imagine a world where if they offered him the qualifying offer, that he would turn it down, um, given given his age, because I don't see him going back on the market and getting, you know, like a, a three-year, you know, 50-plus million dollar deal or anything like that, uh, unless he was insanely good next year. So, you know, there, there's a chance that this could turn into a more than, than just one year. Uh, it sounds like that he was, you know, had several teams going after him and that he was looking to go and get on a contending team and he really likes the young pitching staff that he can help mentor um you know a guy like Max freed seems going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of value back you know in terms of what he can learn from Hamels. because you know th- say what you want to about Hamels but you know that is a guy that knows how to pitch and has pitched well for a long time and when you have guys who you know just may, may, just may need tweaks and heres and here and there just to kind of harness their arsenal particularly as good at the stuff as a guy like freed would be he has a lot of value in that regard.
2: Yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah, I mean, the 18 I was, million's a lot. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Yeah, it is. No, it is. I mean, I think it was more money than I was expecting, I, I think is probably what I'll say.
1: Well, yeah. And my initial thought, for whatever reason, I just thought he was projected to get less. You know what I mean? Like I and the 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 projections I end up seeing were like two and thirty, or like two and twenty eight, two and thirty. So this isn't this is a little bit of an overpay, but again, not over you overpaying a little bit because you're in a little bit of a bidding war in what has turned into a very active free agent market, which is really bizarre to see, uh, given what we saw the last two off seasons. Like all of a sudden, all these like free agents are signing for real money early in the off season, uh, whereas last year, like a guy like Hamels, I would have not been surprised if he would have been. If he would have stuck around until you know January or February, trying to like hold out for a really good deal, but as it turns out, you know he ended up getting a good deal for himself early on in the off season. And the other thing is, is that you might have to pay a little bit more to get him to accept a one year deal, just in general, because he might he might have gotten. I would actually wager that someone did offer him two years somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you want him to take the one the one year deal, then maybe you have to make that one year particularly rich for him. Um. Well, we'll we'll see. Is to kind of. How, how this ultimately turns out, it's, it, he's gonna have to put up a year very similar to what he put up last year to, to like justify this co- this contract. Which again, like a, a, a 2.5 f four season is perfectly fine. You don't, you're not signing this guy to be the at, like the, the the front of the rotation guy, but he's the guy that fills out your your rotation pretty well. My question, and it's it's one that it's kind of alluded to elsewhere. Is does, is this it for the Braves in terms of starting pitching? Do you think that this is the move they make and they're done?
2: I lean towards yes as of today, although I've had no feel for this front office this winter. Um, you know, if, if same, same, it, it sure felt like they had to go out and get at least one veteran innings eater because you lose Julio Turan, you lose four months of Dallas Keuchel. And anytime you're dealing with, no matter how good they are, guys like Mike Soroka, Max Fried, and, and the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Mike Voltenevich. um, you, they had to go out and get somebody who they could. You know, you never know with pitcher injuries, right? But somebody who historically has been pretty healthy. Um, I will say this about Hamels. You know, his, his numbers as a whole in 2019 weren't excellent. Um, but he was really, really good through the first maybe three months of the season. And then he had the oblique injury, which has bothered yep. him in past years. Um, if I remember right, he had a sub-three ERA right around the All-Star break. Um, and then as the Cubs kind of fell apart, it sounds like either he or the Cubs training staff rushed him back and he was really bad. He made 10 starts and he had an ERA above, uh, above five. And I believe he eventually went back on the injured list and, and then came back for a start or two as the Cubs were trying to hang on. And once he was fully healthy, he looked more like the guy who had the sub three ERA as he did at the beginning of the year. Now, who knows what level he'll be at. Um, he is a guy who is familiar, of course, with the NL East, though it's been a few years, um, a guy who has pitched in the South. He was with the Rangers for a while, so it's not going to be a culture shock or a weather shock. I think that can be a real thing for pitchers. Um, and ultimately if, if he's the guy who he's been since he got out of, out of Texas last summer, um, you know, you've made 40 starts with the Cubs, a 3.3 era, 3.86 FIP struck out about a batter per inning a reasonable walk rate of three and a quarter per nine, you can do a lot worse than those numbers. And if he's the guy who, you, as you said, he's probably not the the frontline ace anymore, but if you can slot him in as your third or fourth, maybe even if he, he taps into that first half of 2019 and becomes more of a number two starter behind Soroka, uh, you can do a lot worse. And then, and you know, again, a one-year deal for 18 million. Sure. You know, maybe it seems a little high, but if you were really wanting to get the guy at $16 million but not $18 million, uh, what what's $2 million between friends, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not so, our money. That's for As sure. we say, right. Yeah, it's not my money. I'm not paying the check. Yeah.
1: I, it's interesting to me. I think you're right in terms of when, especially when like Zach Wheeler's market and it over the last few like 48 hours or so, it became apparent. Like once we were like, everyone was saying that Wheeler was going to get nine figures. I was like, okay, well, the Braves just aren't going to pay that. You know, that's a guy that, you know, has. Some red flags of his own, and if he's getting five years and that kind of money, it just didn't seem very likely that they were going to sign him. Same thing goes for Bumgarner. I think he, they're kind of they're just going to be out on him because I don't think that Bumgarner is going to. I think he's going to be in relatively the same ballpark as Wheeler, even with the qualifying offer attached. Uh, I, I don't. I think there's going to be a team that's going to pay him that around that much, certainly on an like in, on a per year basis. And I think he'll get four or five years. And in which case, then you know, it, it's probably smart for the Braves not to be in that market, and they probably made the right move. One question I do have, and again, this kind of gets to some payroll questions that we're going to have later on, is that is this de- like for eighteen million dollars you get Cole Hamills? Is this like realistically that much of an improvement over just exercising Julio Tehran's option? Because that's a thought that kind of crossed my mind. Is that what they're looking for? Is an innings eater who doesn't have a big ha- have a ton of upside? And you know, say what you want to about Julio, but he he was able to do that. So I guess you know, like, is this realistically? that much of an upgrade?
2: Um, I mean, maybe uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, would I take Cole Hamills or Julio Tehran next year? I would take Cole Hamills. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I I would agree with that. And for an extra, what was Julio's option for this year? 11 million, 12 million, something like that. Something like that. So for an extra five or 6 million, whatever the the figure was, I would take Cole Hamills. I think Hamills has maybe not upside is the right word, but I think certainty is, is better Um, again, we just talked about how good he was in the first half of the year with the Cubs before he got hurt. There is some injury risk, though. Again, I would argue that all pitchers have injury risk. Julio was always very durable and that was maybe, uh, one of his, his greatest strengths. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if I had to pick between the two, I would take almost at 18 million before I would take Julio at 12 million, but maybe I'm in the minority there.
1: I think it's close. Uh, And again, the the reason why I allude to the the payroll stuff is because the one thing we absolutely don't know right now, and that is because a lot – and you and I are kind of on the same page as this, is that a lot of these moves point to the the Braves are much more willing to spend money this offseason in general, and that the payroll figures that we're kind of gotten accustomed to, this is where the Braves want to be around – in terms of what their opening day payroll is and what their overall payroll is going to end up being, even after the trade deadline, that number has clearly gone up. We don't know how much. And again, you don't spend thirteen million dollars a year on Will Smith. You don't spend eighteen million dollars a year on Cole Hamels when you have a very glaring and important piece that you have not added to your roster yet, and that's third base. And um, you know, Mark uh, Mark Bowman, probably our favorite beat writer for the Braves, uh, he t- said that already. Even with with when you're taking into account. Arbitration projections and kind of you know what options have and have not and been exercised and all that, right now the payroll is already at $130 million, and they don't have a third baseman locked up yet. Now, the elephant in the room here is uh, is Josh Donaldson, whose market seems to be very hot. Now, there was a, rep- a rumor that was floating around by a quote-unquote MLB insider that wasn't verified and doesn't appear to be writing for anybody right now that said that, he, that D- Donaldson's actually has – is really close to a deal with the Phillies as well for at like three years with 20 million, 23 million per with a club option for a fourth. Um, I obviously that hasn't been picked up by anybody and hasn't gotten much traction at yeah, all. I so think that was crap. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to agree, uh, because I, I think that he'll get 25 million a year for one and two, just that specific of a rumor to just not be picked up by anybody else or even be hinted at by anybody else, especially in the wake of, of the Phillies spending that kind of money on Zach Wheeler, I mean, I know that the Phillies have a ton of money just because, and they have more money than sense, as it seems, because they seem to just be throwing a lot of money at problems and they're not really fixing the real problems that they have. But it becomes interesting now because now the Braves, like, look, the Travis Darnode signing is not going to impact a, the team's payroll or their ability to sign Donaldson or a, a, a or a high caliber third baseman. Right. There's, it's just not going to happen. That's just, that's not, that's not the amount of money that'll do it. Now, when you talk about an $18 million contract, all of a sudden you start asking questions like how much is the Braves? The, are the Braves willing to increase their payroll for next year? Because ultimately to get Donaldson, they're going to have to have a payroll above $150 million next year. What do you think the likelihood that is?
2: You know, to me, they've all, they've made all these moves really aggressively and I think they must have some kind of a number in their head um, you know, as we mentioned right now, payroll is about 130 million. So let's say hypothetically you get Donaldson for 25. I mean, that's $155 million opening day payroll. And we know Anthopolis is going to want a little bit of money to play with in the middle of the season. So you figure that that number could go as high as 160 or so. You also probably have an eight, even if you get Donaldson, there might be another piece or two, whether in the bench or a veteran lefty in the bullpen. Um, so yeah, they're spending. I'm with you. Maybe that number that you know Bowman suggested, it could be 150 to 160. Uh, maybe we're all off here, and they're going to go cheap at third base and try to go elsewhere and use trades or, or use their prospect depth to make a couple of trades for lesser guys, guys who won't make $25 million. Um, You know, I don't know. It, it's kind of been the overall theme of the offseason so far is just how high is payroll going to go. It's obviously going to be the highest it's ever been for opening day for the Braves. Um, especially compared to recent years and, and that's that's an encouraging thing. But as you just said, if if you have to spend that money wisely and if for some reason you don't get Donaldson, I think this offseason takes on a whole different beast. I think they'd be willing to spend on Donaldson. I think um I don't think they would have made all these moves if they were one hundred percent certain they weren't gonna reunite with Donaldson. Uh and ultimately it's just a matter of how high they're willing to go with opening day they do have the benefit as we as we know you know they had three playoff games last year and those tickets they adds up in a hurry and you would like to think that as teams become more and more of a world series contender and obviously winning back-to-back division titles they have the money we've known for years they've had the money now they're really kind of putting their pelt to the metal and I would hope that if the right Dawson deal comes ar- comes along they say yes and they go for it because right now you have a roster that is really good, but it is very clearly missing a, an impact bat or two in the middle of the order.
1: I agree with those. I agree with your general assessment. Here's my concern right now is that before Mike Moustakis signed with the Reds, the Braves had multiple paths they could take. They could go with a slightly cheaper option at third base, which is it turns out it wouldn't have been that much cheaper yeah, because Mike has got a, yeah, he got he got paid by a team that I'm not really sure needs to be paying that player that deal just because, like, they're OK at third base. And if you want to pay a second baseman that much, then I mean, look, that's a team that's trying their best to go for it. And they have some some reason to think that that's probably a good idea with what the Cubs are kind of are, are projected to be doing. Looks like they're going to be moving some guys, you know, the, the Cardinals don't seem as uh, like, you know, world beaters. And the Reds were a much better baseball team than their record indicated last year. But you know, in, in close games, they had the worst luck, but they have a good bullpen. They have some they have some good, good guys at the top of that rotation, and they have some bats in that lineup. You know, Joey Votto is still a play baseball player. He can still play pretty well. And, you know, if you can fill out that lineup a little bit more, you know, in addition to Suarez and other guys, you know, th- there's a reason to think that they should be able to go for it. Now, why they went from his and paid him that much money, a little bit unclear to me. But once he's off the market, that kind of narrows the options a bit. And I feel like that this deal does narrow their options more in terms of what are viable paths to a successful off season. Because you, you, now you can't really go after you're not, you can't go after a Zach Wheeler type. It doesn't seem likely you go after a Madison gardener now. And They were probably never in the market for a guy like Garrett Cole or someone like that for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it sounds like Garrett Cole seems very interested in being on the West Coast, and also he's going to be making a ton of money over a lot of years and giving that much money to starting pitching. Same goes for Steven Strasburg. It's it's really hard to put that kind of money into a pitcher in general for that many years, which is what those guys are going to get. So now... You have your rotation more or less kind of you, – you, you've added your veteran guy. You'll probably play a young guy in your fifth spot. So now your options are make a trade that we can't project. We just don't know. I mean, people – I get asked all the time, you know, are the Braves going to trade for Francisco Lindor? And if that's the case, you know, does that mean that you don't have to – you don't necessarily have to get a big-time third baseman? Um, I assume that's possible. It sounds like Lindor is certainly going to get traded. I don't know if it's going to be the Braves. If for no other reason that I think half the league is going to be looking into getting Francisco Lindor on their team, uh, and same for a lot of the other one-year guys. Whether it be Chris Bryant, you know, whether or not you get one or two years of him is a little bit, you know, iffy. Uh, same thing for Mookie Betts. Guys like that, it, the the level of availability they have and what the price is going to be are all things we just don't know yet. And I think yeah. we're going to get we're going to get some of those rumors as to kind of what these teams are asking for these guys and how motivated they are to move them kind of coming out of the winter meetings because right now in terms of what the prices we're looking at and what you know it's ultimately being discussed it's just been very quiet in that regard we, we, what is known is that they're available <laughs> in, some, yeah. in, in ver- some various form
2: well and you know we talked about free agency so far and it's been moving but as you just kind of mentioned it's been pretty healthy for the starting pitchers and for relievers but there really hasn't been much movement of any kind for position players whether in free agency or in trade so Other than
1: Mustakis, yeah.
2: Other than Mustakis, who you know, good for him. He got he got paid. Um, You know, I will say, I think Anthopoulos and the front office are in a pretty good spot now. It's the first week of December. Uh, The the winter meetings start in four days, and they have more or less addressed every hole on the roster, with the exception of third base, and it is a big hole to be sure. Um, But other than addressing third and and figuring out the power bat situation, whether it's going to be at third or at a different position. I think they've they've crossed off a lot of items on their list. It's not like they're going to go to the winter meetings still needing a a back end reliever, a starting pitcher, you know whatever it may be. I do think that's helpful. It sounds like the winter meetings you just listen to people, and sometimes it's hard to get deals done just because there's so many different things you're working on and people tugging at you, um, knowing that. I'm sure they'll always be open to listening to other deals that don't involve either third base or, or a, a you know, a corner outfielder or whatever it may be. But I do think they're in a good position and did well for themselves to kind of get all of this done early on in the offseason and then really be able to focus on the lineup, uh, which has the potential to be really good, um, though there is some work to be done.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's another really good way of looking at it. When I say that narrowing their focus, it's like they don't they can't simply pivot to, you know, maybe going cheaper at third base and then going big elsewhere. Right now, the option is improve third base unless something crazy happens with a trade, which does seem possible. It's worth mentioning too that if payroll becomes a concern, like there are players like Inter and Ciarte or some others on the roster that could feasibly be traded to kind of get a little bit of money off their books to kind of offset some uh, like some extra money spending they might need to make. Again, entirely possible this could happen. And if that's the case, then, you know, like I said, if you trade a, a player like Ender CRT or something like that and you get another outfielder that, you know, is maybe a, a little bit better at the plate, uh, for among other things, then, you know, that makes some sense too. I still think Donaldson, who, you know, was good enough last year, he uh, was announced today as well that he was named the Nationally Comeback Player of the Year, which I think he was a favorite for that award, you know, c- coming off his 2018 season where he was hurt for basically most of the season and to come back and to finish, like, top 11 in MVP voting, you know that's a big deal and he has played he played extraordinarily well i still think deep down that the Braves are the favorites to sign him because i think that he, he is simply going to test his market as much as he can and he's going to give the Braves a chance to match what he's going to be able to get now whether or not that gets too rich again i think that all three of us you Brad and i have all kind of agreed that like 3 years and like 75 million is kind of where it makes the most sense to like you know start start wondering if it's worth it or not and if he gets, you know, if he gets four-year deal and you know nine figures, then he gets four years and nine figures, and that that's probably going to be too rich. But then the Braves have a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, there's only so many guys that you can trade for or go after, other than a guy like a Chris Bryant, which might be a hard a hard sell given what the Cubs may ask for him in return, plus his outstanding grievance regarding his service time. You know, how much are you willing to give up a guy when you don't know if you're going to get one or two years from him? When you narrow your focus, it's good because it means that like you have you can you can just go these are the players that are available whether it be trade or free agency, you know, what's the best deal for us. The downside being is that you can't pivot to another position or you can't pivot if things don't work out the way you want. Um,
2: yeah, I, it's interesting. It's interesting to me for sure. No, it is. This has been a fascinating offseason so far. And we talked you and I and a lot of folks talked about just how important this offseason has been. And let me ask you this. So you know, the offseason started about a month ago today. If you know everything you know now with Will Smith, Chris Martin, Darren O'Day, Derno, O'Day, etc., what would you grade the offseason so far? Like how are you feeling, you know, 10 being, holy cow, this team, I'm ready to rock, or, I mean, it'd be hard to give it a one, right? But more of like a lower score of, I don't know, they, they just haven't added a ton of high impact or, or high ceiling guys so far.
1: I'm in that six-and-a-half to seven range because, look, is the bullpen better than it was last year? Absolutely yes. Is the rotation better than it was last year? Debatably yes. It's close, right? Like, I think, it, I think yeah. at the end of it, it'll be marginally better.
2: I mean, I, I would put, if I had to bet, I would say Hamels will have a better 2020 than what Keuchel and Julio gave them last year. That That sounds about right. And again, you know,
1: the wild card is the... You know, well, there's two wild cards. One, if if Faulty turns back into 2018 Faulty, then all of a sudden that, that that's the yeah. biggest upgrade you can
2: make. You're in great shape.
1: Yeah, you then all of a sudden you have Soroka, Hamels, Freed, and Faulty. You know, whoever the fifth starter is, it, it's it doesn't nearly matter nearly as much. You know what I mean? Because on that fifth day, you know, sometimes you know, well, it's okay because the other four guys are really doing well. The lineup is the biggest question. And that's the only reason why I give it a six and a half or a seven is simply because they've made improvements in a lot of areas. Like, you know, the, the Darno flowers battery, I don't think is going to be as good for a, the chunk of the season where McCann was like still playing pretty well as in addition to flowers playing reasonably well. The end of the season catching platoon was like really bad, especially at the plate. So I don't think that that gap is going to be as big as some people think simply because I think that they've almost forgotten that like for like a third of the season, Brian McKinnon was, you know, a shell of himself. And obviously Tyler flowers had a lot of struggles. I do like the, the pairing between those two. And I think they'll perform reasonably well. They might not be the best offensive forces, but it does put a lot of uh, onus then on making sure you get this third base choice. Right. And if you get it right, ra- yeah. no, and, and, and there's a way to grade it down based on that third base choice as a result.
2: Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like an in progress report card, you know, like, yeah. We'll, we'll see I mean maybe in another month we could really answer this question if they go out you know if they think if they get Donaldson I think it's hard to argue this winter wasn't a big success they went out and spent a ton of money they have a similar team to last year but significantly improved the bullpen and, and the potential for the rotation to be better you know I think you can also argue though that again if, if they don't get Donaldson then all of a sudden they're going to have to really scramble and figure out what they're going to do but um, anyway, I was just curious to get some people had talked about the off season as a whole so far and, and the Braves have been probably the most aggressive team in baseball of anybody, which is enjoyable from a fan and writing perspective.
1: Yeah, uh, there, you know, there, there there, they're that, certainly in that conversation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are teams who truly haven't done anything so far. So you compare that and, and for better or worse, I mean, just, again, just because the Braves are spending money doesn't necessarily mean anything, um, you know, it's nice to see them being aggressive and improving the roster. And um, Now they just have this one very big decision to make. Maybe it's Donaldson, maybe it's not, but one way or the other, they have to address that position.
1: Yeah, I agree. And again, that, that, it's one of those things, too, where if they don't address this position, like it's not like my grade stays at a six and a half because all of a sudden, then your lineup, the top third is very good, the bottom two thirds is suspect at best. You know, that, that extra bet is a big deal. And, you know, given that third base is the slot where you'll be upgrading, again, excluding trades and things like that, like the trade rumors that are out there right now are like basically non-existent. you know, again, all we hear about is like some guys are available, but what actual prices are being discussed, like what's actually reasonable to expect. That's the tough thing in terms of, you know, (laughs) expecting what the what's going to happen on the trade market, because, I mean, this free agent market is getting pretty rich. And it's yeah. bizarre. I mean, like, you know, the, some of these, like a lot of these deals, you know, the Grant, like I, grand dog got more than I thought he was going to get, you know, Zach Wheeler got significantly more than I thought he was going to get. Moustakis got more than I thought he was going to get. And I yeah. think that was true of a lot of
2: guys. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's been a good, it's been a good winner. If you're a free agent, and, you know, while this has been a, a fun free agency so far, uh, all the big dogs are still out there. I mean, you know, Anthony Rendon, whether he does a five-year deal or a 10-year deal, he's going to get in paid ridiculously strasburg cole you know you name it those guys are gonna get paid so it's been a lot of fun so far
1: so that's generally our thoughts on the the cole hamill signing Uh, i do want to touch on the 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 non-tender decisions before we we sign this thing off again it's gonna be a little bit shorter um the braves removed three guys from their roster two of which were non-tenders one of which was really more of a release simply because he wasn't like he wasn't an arbitration eligible guy uh, J- Charlie Culberson, John Ryan Murphy, and Rafael Ortega. Now, H- H- Culberson is the one that had people getting the giving us the uh, most amount of yelled at. But when we come back from this next break, we're going to talk a little bit about our thoughts in terms of what we think about these decisions, and ultimately, kind of where the this puts the Braves roster.
0: Vacations can be tricky.
1: All right, guys, before we let you guys go, we're going to talk about some non-tender decisions. Uh, as we alluded before the break, the Braves did make three moves with their roster. Charlie Culberson, John Ryan Murphy, and Rafael Ortega are no longer under contract from the Braves. That doesn't mean that they're going to be forever not Braves. A lot of things can happen. They could just be signed for less money back, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's talk about Charlie Culberson first because the other two games, I honestly think we both probably expected to be uh, no, no longer with the team. Uh, I guess the first question is the easiest one to ask. And that is if it was your decision, would you have non-tendered him?
2: I would have tendered him just because knowing that you can, you know, get rid of him in another you know, in a couple of months during spring training and only have to pay 10 or 20% of his, of his deal. Um, I was surprised. I mean, Brad and I went discussed at length on Sunday about all the, the tender options and, uh, he was somebody who wasn't really on my radar. I thought they were going to bring him back. And even if the production last year wasn't great, um, as much as Anthopolis preaches about having a strong clubhouse and veteran leadership, uh, you know, that that's kind of Culberson's strongest point, that in his versatility. Um, again, he, he didn't have a great year offensively. Um, and, and defensively, he's okay. You know, the versatility is nice, but it's not like he's an all-world all defender or anything like that. So I was surprised. What about you?
1: I was a little surprised because, especially when you have twenty-six man rosters now, a guy with like that extra versatility seems to have extra value. Uh, and as a bench bat, you can do far worse than Charlie Culberson. You just can. Like it's just it's just like considering what he is, he's fine. But I do think that there's a lot of people, and they are very loud, that are that think that he is more than what he is. Yes, he is a good clubhouse presence. Yes, he is a local guy, and yes, he had some big moments as a Brave. And, you know, people talk about him as Charlie Clutch and all this other stuff, but he was not good last season period. Um, there's a re- And one of the things I think that really entered into the decision with him is, one, he doesn't have any minor league options left, whereas Johan Camargo, who fills a similar role that he does, has two minor league options left, which kind of gives them some more flos- roster flexibility, whereas he does not. Neither one of those guys can play back up shortstop. And the reason why we know that is, is because they were so bad trying to do so when Dansby went down last year that the Braves actually had to go and sign Echeverria off the the you know the junk heap last year <laughs> and and he ended, and he ended up being and look Echeverria was very good yeah like, he was I, great. I, I, yeah yeah if if they signed him as a back as a bench bat to be the backup shortstop and to you know pop in here and there that would be completely fine with me I think be, he did yeah same here yeah really good defender again no issues um no issues that that's the path that they took. So combined with the fact that he he's not a backup shortstop, and as a result, you don't really have a great option as a backup shortstop right now. I mean, you can put Camargo over there, but as we've seen, that is not the most desirable outcome.
2: Oh, right, put him over there and pray that a ball doesn't get hit his way because he was really rough there last year.
1: Yeah, he especially right before he got sent down to Gwinnett, like it, it was like watching a statue play it. And I, yeah. I don't think I don't think he's that bad. Sure. I don't, but I also think that it's worth exploring options that could actually play the position um now in terms of like you know how good and how clutch he was there there are very moments you know like walk-off home runs you know especially in 2018 where he he seemed he seemed to hit one every week and it was hysterically funny almost It, it became comical this is a guy that had a not a good year last year had a 134 wrc plus in low leverage situations last year his or WRC plus in medium leverage situations was negative one. And in high leverage situations in those quote unquote clutch situations, it was negative 55. That is not good. Now, look, he made that great throw to home and you know, it was, it was, a, th- th- those are great moments. And th- that is what makes baseball really fun is that sometimes players who aren't necessarily heroes uh, on a day-to-day basis. And they kind of, you know, make sure that, you know, you, you get those you know winning 7 out of 10 streaks, but every once in a while, a, a game that you weren't supposed to win, a guy like Rafael Ortega, who hit the Grand Slam against the Dodgers, or a Charlie Culberson, goes against expectations and does something. But the reality about what Charlie Culberson is as a player, beyond the clubhouse stuff, which again, has value, and I, w- I probably would have tendered him a contract, if I'm just being honest. Yeah, me too. Uh, depending on what the options were out there. But they, his wasn't a, a name that was like, Even really on my radar, either in terms of, you know, taking him off the roster. There may be reasons for it. And again, they might sign him to a deal for less than what he was going to make next season to bring him back. That could absolutely happen. It wouldn't shock me, you know, especially if they circle back and they realize that they just couldn't find someone else that they liked as much, liked better than him.
2: But if you're looking at his as a production,
1: it's just, it's just not there.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, maybe we under, you know, it's always hard to get a real read on this front office. But yeah, I mean, Again, Culverson was not a guy. He had he had no prospect pedigree. He was kind of a career 4A player with the Dodgers. And then, of course, he came over when the Topless came over. And to be clear, Culverson had some terrific moments. I mean, there were times he was better in 2018 than 19. He was so big for that 2018 team. You mentioned the heroic throw to the plate in 2019. Um, you know, he, he had some great moments, I think, if he has played his final game with the Braves, he'll be remembered very fondly. Um, but as you said It's not completely closing the door on him. If he's still looking for a job in January or February and the Braves are still interested, maybe they reunite and pay him a million and a half bucks, which is what he probably would have got uh, in arbitration anyway.
1: Yeah, and again, I think a lot of the anger comes from the quote-unquote, like the local kid doing good by his favorite team growing up type thing. And I get that. I I truly do. But I think that a lot of the reaction, like I had people tweeting at me saying that like, The Braves don't care at all. They're not going to win the World Series now. You know, how dare they? He was one of the, you know, whether he was their favorite player or he was like one of the more important players on the roster. Uh, It's going to ruin clubhouse chemistry. They're going to lose the locker room now that they've gotten rid of him. I just don't think any of those things are going to happen. I just don't. And, and, And again, it is okay. It is perfectly reasonable to really like him. But there's a reason why he was a bench bat. There's a reason why he wasn't playing every day. And there are real baseball reasons why you make this decision, particularly from a roster construction perspective, when you have certain needs and you were wanting a certain amount of roster flexibility from your bench spots, whether it be minor league options or the ability to play certain positions that need coverage, because look, I mean, Dansby's a guy that's just been, that keeps getting hurt one way or the other. And he's not a guy that necessarily springs right back into action when he gets hurt either. So if you, you, you need to have a backup back shortstop who can play for a while, at the very least, making sure that he can catch and make make all the catches and make all the throws, even if they might not hit particularly well. And that, you know, between Culberson and Camargo, that guy is not on the roster. He's just not yeah. not, not between those guys. Um, the other two names that were uh, are, that are currently no longer with the Braves anyway, uh, John Ryan Murphy, catcher that they did, uh, acquired at the trade deadline. He was always going to get removed. Uh, If for no other reason that they just added William Contreras to the 40-man roster, Alex Jackson's already on the 40-man roster, and then they have two catchers at the major league level. You know, he was just not a guy that was ever going to see the time, you know, see playing time. And and they and they need some 40-man slots if if they plan on doing anything in the Rule Five draft, they weren't going to have you know any any space to do that. And plus, we actually have you know some other holes that need to be filled, third base notably, which we talked about quite a bit. uh, In addition to possibly some other bench spots, you know, a lefty bat or something like that. You know that th- these are holes that need to be filled, and you know to have forty man spots for guys like that is important. And Rafael Ortega, who wasn't technically a non tender because he wasn't like an arbitration eligible guy, uh, he's just been released. And um, you know he's a guy he's approaching thirty, and you know he yeah. had a really fun had a really fun year in Triple A. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere and had this power that you know no one thought he had, and had a great moment against the Dodgers. You yeah, know.
2: one of the biggest swings of the whole season. That was awesome. Good for him.
1: Yeah, and hey, there's there's not a he was an interesting guy and you know, he did draw some walks as a, as a pinch hitter, but really didn't do much else beyond that grand slam. So, you know, wish him the best, you know, again, these are two guys that were, we were kind of expecting to no longer be on the roster. Uh, some notable guys that didn't get non tender that were rumored, you know, Shane, Shane Green was the hot name for a little while is that they were thinking about it because of the amount of money he was going to be making. But it sounds like the Braves are instead just more, much more content just to have, I think one of the better bullpens in the national league. Would you agree with that assessment?
2: Yeah. I mean, at least on paper. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm, I'm, it, and I think with the Shane Green thing, I mean, Mark Bowman does a great job. I, you know, he's kind of the only one who has realistically mentioned Green as a non-tender candidate. And whether that's that was accurate or not, I, I do think, I mean, it just seemed kind of silly to invest all this money in the bullpen, bring back Chris Martin, add Will Smith, bring back O'Day than to just boot Shane Green after two and a half months. You know, it it just seemed odd. Um, So I'm glad that they ponied up the six or seven million dollars he's going to eventually get.
1: Yeah, I agree. Again, it just didn't make much sense. Like, again, it would require a very specific set of circumstances where they needed a lot of money to do something that maybe you non-tender him then. And I don't know what that signals in terms of that, in terms of what their payroll expectations are and what they think they're going to be able to spend. Uh, It's not just simply what they're willing to spend, but they actually going to have to be able to do it. They actually have to get the guys in the uniform. And, you know, if you feel like, you know, that 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 6 or $7 million that Green's going to end up getting isn't going to make or break you, then, you know, that tells us some things, uh, but a lot of those things don't necessarily agree with one another. More just like there's some options on the table now. And as it stands right now, the Braves have a really, really good bullpen, which is a nice thing to say because the last couple years it has been, um, I shall we'll say suspect at best. So, you know, again, to close everything out with a Hamill signing, it looks like the rotation is going to be pretty good. It has a chance to be really good. If some other guys, particularly faulty bounce back and Cole Hamill's turns into the first half Cole Hamill's and is much less in common with the second half version that was where he was hurt. And then we also have, you know, faulty bounce back that has a chance to be really good. It kind of comes down to what we've been saying for a long time. And that is what's going to happen at third base. Because if that happens, and all of a sudden you have you know four real hitters in that lineup, in addition to other support staff, that could feasibly bounce back and do something. Then this team is going to get yeah. really interesting really quick. Yeah, and if they don't. Roster. But if opening day and it's Austin Riley and Johan Camargo platooning at third or something, it gets much more risky. I don't say it's not certainly not impossible because again, we I still really like Austin Riley, and we've seen Johan Camargo be a really good baseball player. But if that's what they end up having to roll with. And they make you know some like minor moves elsewhere and don't really you know take that next step to kind of add that extra big bat. It becomes much less certain as to how
2: well they're going to do. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think they've done as a, as we said a really nice job kind of filling out all the uh, accessory pieces. But now they they really need to focus. And I think that's that's pretty clear. They they took care of the bullpen early. They figured out a platoon mate for flowers. Now it's time to really figure out the lineup. And even if they don't get Donaldson. And don't get Anthony Rendon, which is lesser and lesser. But we can dream, right? Um, even if they oh, yeah, lose out on sure. Donaldson, if somebody says, "Hey, here's four years and a hundred and five million dollars or something insane," they still have options, right? Like it's not like they're putting all their eggs in the Donaldson basket. They're they're going to have to get creative, and you know, you and I could probably ramble for three hours at all the different things they could do if Donaldson signs somewhere else. But oh yeah, um, ultimately they do have options. They have a good farm system. They we presume still have money to make a deal work. Um, so, you know, I just want to make sure it's, it's, you know, it's it's not Donaldson or bust. It would certainly help. I think he's probably the best option, all things considered with contract cost and, and what it would cost to trade for a third baseman with prospects. But um, you know, there are options out there. And again, it's only the first week of December. There's plenty of time to make a move.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So to those who are, Becoming anxious, given that like you know the amount of money the Braves have been throwing around, and wondering how much money they have left, and considering the holes they have, really important to note that there are still going to be plenty of really interesting names both on the free agent and trade market that could round out this roster really well. So even if even if the winter meetings come and go, and you know Josh Donaldson isn't a Brave, and you know Anthony Rendon isn't a Brave, and the Braves the Braves haven't made any trades over the next week or so, that doesn't mean anything. You know, ultimately what it comes down to is what this what this team looks like going into spring training. That's the most important. And that's going to be the most important consideration is we're going to be a little bit patient and then be reminded of the fact that, you know, there's a lot of teams that haven't done anything. And the Braves have very clearly been one of the most aggressive teams. I mean, there's been some other teams that have been, you know, certainly been trying to be aggressive, the Padres, the White Sox, other teams like that, who are certainly trying to make moves. But in terms of really filling the needs that they wanted to fill and getting really some like, very interesting, high potentially high-impact guys. The Braves have done really well for themselves so far. Uh, it's an incomplete grade right now, but they're really in a position now where if they just make that one last move, then this is a very successful offseason, and they're going to have a really fun uh, 2019 season versus some other teams that seemingly are just spinning their wheels, particularly in the division, uh, and who could either be significantly worse or not really doing the things they need to to improve it at all. So, uh, still, yeah, it's still really like what the Braves are at.
2: Me too. And, you know, again, it's it's the front page of MLB.com today was talking about the arms race in the National League East. And, you know, you mentioned the other teams and obviously the Nationals won a World Series and they have a great core. Even if, you know, if they lose Rendon and or Strasburg, I think there's still enough on that roster and they're going to spend money. They've, they've been competitive for years now and there's a reason for it. Um, you know, the Mets, who knows what the Mets are going to do. But again, I think the Mets quietly, despite some of the struggles they had, the Mets won 86 games last year so. It's not like they just have this this miserable lineup. And I think with that pitching they have, even losing Wheeler, with the pitching they have, they're going to be competitive. And then the Phillies are apparently just trying to spend so much money to try to fill their holes. You know, again, they won 81 games last year. They had Zach Wheeler. Uh, I still think that roster has significant overhaul to do. But again, it's, you know, it's the National Geese. The Braves are good, and everybody else other than the Marlins are, are good. And it's going to be a real challenge.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's a good place to end things. So, you know, short version, everything's going to be fine, but there's still work to be done. And this, the 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 NL East has certainly not been rounded out, and we don't really know what to expect from it uh, just yet. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, thanks again to all of you who have been listening. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, as far as I'm aware, this is going to be the only podcast this week, so don't look for one necessarily on Sunday. We've kind of covered all those, the, the newsworthy stuff anyway, barring some other crazy signing, in which case, you know, myself or and or Brad and or Scott will come back in, you know, if, you know, Anthony Rendon signs and, you know, the next you know couple of hours or something, it probably won't happen. I would wager it probably wouldn't happen tonight. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe it would, too. Uh, but beyond that, so make sure you're you check, checking the following week where it's going to be back to your regular reg, regularly scheduled programming where Brad is going to be having probably Scott or myself on Um or if you know something maybe we can get a guest on as well but make sure you subscribe to the podcast on itunes stitcher whatever your favorite podcast purveyor is make sure that you have us subscribed and make sure you leave a five-star review for us it helps a lot to grow the podcast and make it more visible to other listeners who are looking for content about the braves and we really just kind of blown away by all the support and all the listens and downloads that the, the podcast gets it really makes it worthwhile that when we put together together these podcasts and put all the time into it, that there seems to be a lot of people who are really enjoying it. So thanks again to all of you, and we'll see you next time.
2: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work.